It's not much of a secret that I have a home field apparel problem. Even before we started this show, I couldn't even step foot on a new college campus without making sure there was something from that school's home field collection waiting on my porch when I got home. So we are, understandably, over the moon to partner with home field this season to keep Pitt fans comfy, cozy, and stylish at a fraction of the price by using promo code LOYALSUNS for 15% off your next order. This discount applies site-wide and with unique vintage collections for every school from Pitt to Bama, Jackson State to Colgate, Michigan, Marshall, Marquette, and both Miamis. There's something for every fan. So whether you're buying for a Pitt fan or for a loser freak, use promo code LOYALSUNS at homefieldapparel.com to save big on your next order. Each code applies once per email address, so get those work emails and burners ready. That's homefieldapparel.com. Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Suns show. That's at the Loyal Suns on all the social medias. Follow us there and follow us here for pit sports content you won't want to miss. If you love Bub Carrington and hate football season, this is the place for you. The Loyal Suns show. A safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix. Brought to you by Section 5. Basketball started last night. As of when we're recording this, it was last night. Recording on Tuesday night. And it was the Bub Carrington show. The sensational freshman, the diaper dandy. Showed up and showed out with a triple-double in his Pitt basketball debut in front of the Peterson Event Center, in front of a packed Oakland Zoo. The kid put on a show, and now the boys are absolutely buzzing. David, Squid, thoughts, comments, concerns? Let them rip. There are no concerns. I'll tell you that right now. There are no concerns about Pitt basketball. That was... I mean, I was going to say it was the most fun pit game I've been to in a while, but the last three I've been to were uh, March Madness games and the Syracuse game, and those were all extremely fun. So I'll just say this kept the trend of really fun pit basketball games going, and they looked really, really good. Don't give me the, oh, NC, A&T. It's like the worst team in the nation. They're in the I'm not hearing that right now. I'm not hearing that right now. That was a very fun display of basketball. Yeah, I want to begin by saying uh, welcome back to me. Uh, Fresh off of my three-episode suspension for my conduct in South Bend. Um, I don't want to get too into the details, but I, um, I had a few too many and told Dylan that Sopranos drags on and uh swung at squid and those are those are two uh two bits of conduct that we consider equal in terms of badness so i was kicked to the curb for three weeks so happy to be back um so yeah statement you were here in spirit i was here in spirit um for the record, I did not swing on Squid. I have told Dylan that I thought Sopranos kind of dragged on and his response was violent in nature. Anyway, uh, good to be back, especially for such a joyous occasion as we are celebrating today. 
yeah, Pitt looked unbelievable in that first game. Um, is are there two more fun athletes to watch than the Diaz Graham twins? I know they weren't exactly the stars of the afternoon, but like I can't take my eyes off of them anytime they're on the court. Maybe quickly becoming two of my favorite pit athletes of all time. It felt weird because obviously Bub Karen to get all the shine, rightfully so. He did something that had never been done in pit basketball history, almost ACC history. It was like unprecedented, but it overshadowed a lot of really great performances. Jorge Diaz Graham, stud. Blake Henson did Blake Henson things. And there are other newcomers that made big plays too. So we're going to give Bub Carrington his shine. But overall, unbelievable. Blew our expectations out of the water, and we had really high expectations going into it. Yeah, you touched on it, Squid. Uh, Bub Carrington, first pit player to ever have a triple-double in their debut as a freshman. Only the second ACC player to ever do that. Uh, the, the other was Dennis Scott in 1987. He was a future top-five NBA draft pick. Uh, had a Had a really nice NBA career. A sense um, of theme. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is good company he's in. Also, only the third Pitt Panther to ever have a double-double in their debut, their freshman debut. The other two are Sean Miller and Dewan Blair. So once again, great company he's in. And while we're listing off the accolades and the company he's in, he's actually the first Pitt player in 25 years to have a triple-double. The last one was in 1998. Ricardo Greer had a triple-double. What uh, question? What year was Bub born in? Two thousand five. Okay, so seven years before he was even born. Correct. Correct. Uh, so it's been a while. It's been a while, and yeah, I think before I start, we we're gonna touch on everyone, but let's get our Bub praise out of the way early here. Um, not out of the way. Let's. I mean, this is gonna go for the whole season. I would have to think, but it was pretty, pretty awesome how the entire arena slowly throughout the game. I think every, I, I sent out a tweet. He had two, four and four, two points, four rebounds, four assists at like the 14 minute mark. And I was like, all right, let's keep an eye on that. It's, it's early, but let's keep an eye on that. I think he had four assists in the first two minutes and six seconds of the game, which is pretty unprecedented, but it was funny to see how the entire arena everyone slowly started to realize like oh wait he could get a triple double tonight and then even as he approached that you could tell the whole arena just started to get to a point where like okay this freshman's special um just pushing the ball on the break making good decisions getting his teammates involved shooting the ball, hitting fadeaway baseline jumpers, coming off screens, catch and shoot. Like he did a little bit of everything last night. And we had heard about in the off season about there's a lot of, there's a feeling within the the staff and within the program, like this could be a future NBA guy. He could be a one and done. I wasn't ready to buy in on all that, but after what I saw last night, uh, I, I think I can see what they were selling. Early on, we were like cheering, like, wow, a freshman just made that play. That was a tough, 
take, tough fadeaway, whatever. After he had like his 10th point, we just turned to each other and like throw our arms up. Like, expect anything different at this point? Yeah. He, he was clearly running the show. Um, it was, I was curious to see how much they would really just give the keys to Bub to let him run and go and run the offense. I knew that he was running the point, but I wasn't sure if there would be a lot of Ish Leggett kind of taking, getting the ball in his hands and taking over some possessions. Him and Jalen Lowe kind of working off of each other, taking turns. No, it was very clear from the jump that the ball is going to be in Bub. Bob Carrington saying, I almost called him Bob means just now. Uh, the balls do not. Be, he is the new Bob. Uh, Bob, Bob means is now Jared means moving forward. Uh, he is the new Bob down at Pitt. He's the Bob. big Bob on campus. There you go. He very clearly from the jump and it, and it looks like his teammates trust him. Like there's no hesitation. And obviously this is as, as a teammate, you should play within the system, but <clears throat> I mean, guys were getting the rebound and they were looking for Bub to get him the ball and Bub was pushing the break. And it's easy to do that when the when the guy's a willing passer, when a guy gets 10 assists as he did last night. But you could tell there, there's no. And I, I hate to bring this name up, but there was no uh, Xavier Johnson to this triple double to where it was like this guy is clearly trying to get his. Uh, he's filling the stat sheet, but it's pretty clear that he wants to be the show. Everything he did felt like it was in the flow of the game, within rhythm. There was no forced tough shots that he took. There was no, I, I'm going to force this in to try to get an extra assist until until the end of the game when they were clearly trying to get him the triple-double. But I was just so impressed of how naturally he filled in that point guard spot as an 18-year-old. Yeah, love the selflessness. Um had a quote after the game that he was not aware how close he was to a triple double uh, until he was sitting on the bench. And one of the te- one of the guys on the team pointed out to him on the scoreboard, like, Hey, you are one assist away from a triple double. And to that bub responded. And I quote, I bet. So that's to your point, the kind of selflessness you love to see. He was not padding the stats. He was not, watching the scoreboard the dude was just playing basketball and that was the result in his first chance in a pit uniform and i for one not to bring up you know bad feelings about the other team that we cover pretty extensively at the university of pittsburgh but god did it feel so good to have high expectations exceeded immediately I mean, immediately, the first 10 seconds, we got a Blake Henson logo three. Follow up Blake Henson, nice take to the hole. And we got a little bit of everything. I touched on it earlier. The Alley-Oops, there's a stretch in the late first half for the Alley-Oops, like every other possession. The athleticism of this team is going to be so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, they are. Go ahead. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say the the alley oops, the three pointers. Like I felt like we were watching the Harlem Globetrotters for stretches during that first half. It just it felt like everything was going, nothing could go right for the opponents, and just guys were feeling it. I mean, another guy who there was a stretch of the game was taken over. Jorge Diaz Graham, Big George, uh, fourteen points, three for three from three. 
uh, poster dunk on on someone's head. Had the whole whole arena doing head taps, um, and I think he had. I want to say he had twelve or nine points in like a, a ninety second span. Um, that's that's another guy that we look at this year. And, and you talk about earlier, David, like who's more fun to watch than the Twins? I feel like every time they do something impressive, whether it's a block or a bucket, the whole arena gets into it. It's like those are our boys. Those are the Twins. We love to see them succeed. And I feel like last year it was more of like a. Oh, these are the funny, goofy Spanish twins that we got, and one of them just got a layup with six minutes left. Uh, no, this is like this is going to be a consistent theme of the season. They're going to be major players, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, everything that they do is magnified times a thousand by just the physical comedy of two seven foot, one hundred and forty pound Spanish twins. With like a lot of personality, even when they do something unbelievably athletic, there's like a physical comedy component, and that's not to to take away from them. Jorge looks day and night compared to the way he looked last year. He is he is sure of himself. He is playing physical. He is hitting his shots. It was, I mean, last year I, I think it felt like you know if you had to rank the twins. It was Guillermo than George, but I, there there's improvement all around that is very evident, even relative to the competition they played last night. I'm going to piggyback off of that. The fact that Jorge was the one who stepped up really was reassuring. This the look of this team. I know this probably won't be how the the scoring breaks down every game, but. It seems like anybody can step up. I mean, Federico had like 10 and 8 before we were late into the second half. I think a lot of guys on this team could step up. A lot of the predictions we had, I think I said was Blake Hinson will average 20 a game, but he might not have to now. Maybe we can afford some Blake down games and still blow teams out because we have a plethora of guys that can just go off and hit threes and do it all. Yeah, with the thing with Jorge, and I think this is something that people have seen from the beginning with him. That the the rep on those two coming in was Guillermo was probably going to be more ready to play. He was more of a natural big, and Jorge is this <clears throat> wing. And you're like, really? He's a wing. He's he's six eleven. Are we sure about that? And I go back to the VCU game last year, and probably not people. Many people are going to remember that, but it was only the fourth game of the season. And Jorge played 20 minutes in that game and scored 10 points, 10 points, five rebounds. And I remember watching that game and thinking, I I remember him hitting like a one dribble pull up. I remember seeing him hit a catch and shoot three. Uh, He got to the line a little bit, shot five or seven from the line that game. And I remember watching that game and thinking like, Jorge actually might be the guy between these two twins. And then we went through the season And Guillermo was the one who played a larger role on that team. But what I what I saw last night and what I saw in that VCU game is exactly what you said, Squid. He's a guy who can go off. Like he's he's I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple games for Jorge this year where he he just drops 20 because he's hitting on catch and shoot threes, and then they have to respect that, and then he can put the ball on the floor. I think he's the type of guy who can heat up and really fill up the stat sheet. And 
then there may be games with Jorge where he scores two points. They can only play him 10 minutes. I mean, it might be that type of hot, cold season for him. But I agree. I think it's really reassuring to see that he came out and was effective right away because there's going to be nights where Blake can't carry the load. And knowing that it doesn't have to fully lay on on the shoulders of a freshman and Bob Carrington or, you know, Blake Henson gets in foul trouble, Ishley get. Um, that just that kind of showed me, like you said, another guy that we're going to have who can score the basketball. Well, even if he's not scoring, one of my favorite parts of last night was how active this team was on defense. I don't yes. have the numbers up in front of me, but there are a lot of blocks and there are a lot of tip passes and steals and possessions where I thought NCAA and T- he looked pretty decent moving the ball around, but no matter what they did, we had a huge body charging at him, whether it was Federico, the twins, I mean, Bob Carrington was playing point. He's six, five. So guys on defense, super active flying around. I think that's going to help this team a lot. I know in a prior episode, we said we might be able to win more games because of defense, because we're a better defensive team. I think our offense will be high power too. It'll just be the best team in the country. Yeah, to fill in there for you, uh, nine blocks, five steals, uh, 58 boards to North Carolina A&T's 28. It is a beautiful combination to have a supremely athletic team, which you guys have mentioned, the announcers mentioned multiple times. Shout out Julius Page. Um, and then for them also to average like 6'8". Being very athletic and very giant is a very good recipe for basketball, per my understanding. Something else we noticed about the Twins specifically, not falling down very much. Yeah. Wow. That was an issue last year. You bump these guys. They drew fouls, which is great, but you don't like to see your your big man on the ground all that much. You don't want them getting hurt, but. They look sturdier, playing stronger. They were going up, grabbing rebounds, getting blocks. So I'm all that paella. Yeah. Yes. Those home cooked meals over in the Canary Islands really got them over the hump there. So I'm eager to see the overall defensive potential for this team. Yeah. I think if you look at the size they have, to go back to Bob Carrington, I mean, he's a 6'5 point guard. He has good length. And I was skeptical because I remember as a recruit, it seemed like a lot of the sites had him listed like 6'3. And then I saw him listed at 6'5 on the roster. And I'm like, is this typical basketball? Give him two inches that aren't there. Watching him out on the court, he looked every bit of 6'5. And I was like, he might, he might have grown to 6'6 since they put that in the roster, in the book. Um, Zach Austin, 6'7. Blake Henson, 6'7. Federico seven foot. I mean, they can play lineups where there's no one smaller than six five on the court. And I think that's really exciting. Like you like you said, Squid, defensively. Um, being able to just kind of physically overpower teams on the defensive end, uh, use their length to get into passing lanes, deflect passes, a few times on rotations. Uh Will Jeffress comes from the weak side. Uh Zach Austin came in and had a big block, like several guys who can block shots and be a real force. Whereas I think it's a very 
strong contrast to last year's team. Last year's team played a lot of s- smaller guards. The uh, Federico had to really just do a lot on his own down low. Blake Henson had to play a role that maybe he otherwise wouldn't have to play, uh, playing defending some bigger bigger guys, rebounding a little more. So uh, it's really exciting to see a team with this type of size and athleticism to go with it. And and one more thing that I think is is really important, um, and I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but it was it was certainly something I was looking out for. These guys look like they like each other. I know it's very hard to look like you're having a bad time when you're winning a game by fifty and everybody's getting theirs, but they were hyping each other up, picking each other up off the floor. Um, you know, yucking it up on the bench, as the kids say. Uh, like, th- this was clearly a group of guys that are close and like each other. And the reason I think that's so important is because last year, we put together an infrastructure to this program that I I think we all really liked. But it was all kind of with rent-a-players, right? Like, how many guys did we have last year that were one and done at Pitt because they only had one year of eligibility. And the fear that we had was, you know, okay, so they've built a culture for their team, but how are we going to make it a culture that stays when they leave? And that that was one thing that this team last year that made the run in the tournament was, was so prominent for. Those guys loved each other. They were best friends. They supported each other and they had phenomenal team chemistry. And to see that same level of team chemistry of camaraderie with all of these new guys that they are, it almost feels like they are as a unit picking up where last year's team left off. I think that is almost as important as the big men looking a little bit thicker as freshmen stepping up in our biggest position of need of as, as big a deal as everyone looking like a freak athlete and hitting all their shots is, is that, that unity that made last year's team so special and frankly, so fun to root for. I think if I could point to one reason that it looks that way, I'm going to say because Blake Henson's the leader of this team. Absolutely. And and Blake Henson, I mean, we all, everyone knows his, his personality is infectious. Uh, You can't help but smile when he's talking and when he's around and I have to imagine that him being the real core piece that, I mean, Federico, core piece of last year's team. The Twins played a lot near the end of the season, but Blake Henson is the guy from last year's team who is now the guy, the guy for this year's team. And if he's the guy that everyone's looking to and being like, I have to be like him, it's a pretty good person to be emulating in a locker room and, Jeff Capels talked about it too at ACC Media Day. They asked him what it's what it's like having Blake around every day. He's like, he's the first person I see in the gym. I usually hear him before I see him, and you really can't help but the s- smile when he's around. And he has he has everyone in in good moods and and upbeat. And yeah, it's it's super important because the season's a grind, right? The the selection show doesn't happen for another four and a half months, so. 
for this to be, you know, you're, you're going to go through some tough spots. Those early practices in the dead of the Pittsburgh winter, sometimes you're not going to want to go. But having a bunch of guys who care for each other and I'm sure just spending a few hours around Blake Henson can can cheer you up. I'm not sure Jeff Capel learned his lesson, too. I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and say that he didn't emphasize recruiting like great locker room guys early in his career. But it most certainly was a point of emphasis after a few things that may or may not have happened in seasons past. So we saw yep. that last year. It was a team full of leaders, a bunch of old dudes who were like, hey, this is our last draw. We're, we don't give a fuck about anything off the floor. We're just going to show up every day, win basketball games, and get the March Madness by whatever means it takes. And brick by brick, here we are. There also might have been a little bit of addition by subtraction in the last couple months, but we don't have to go there right now. Agreed. Okay. Have we have we talked about the guys we want to talk about? I mean, do we do we have to run through the list of, of players who played just to just to make sure they get their flowers or no, we have sufficiently uh popped all the champagne after a fifty point win against like the worst team in division one. I think I, just like I think we've say, nailed that. I would just like to say I hope we get up on teams a lot because watching Michael Hewitt is very interesting. Yes. He will come in and hit like the shot clock almost on a 90 mile an hour three pointer. And the next two possessions down, will hit a three, then like a nice reverse layup. So I enjoy watching Michael Hewitt for many reasons. So let's just build up like a 20 point lead and let him go out there and just cook. I was very curious of how he was going to play being a guy who most recently played division two basketball like thinking oh he's just honestly i was thinking he would be like uh oh the the former walk-on turned scholarship point guard a few years back in in the pits of the capel era um no michael hewitt jr plays like he looked over and just saw his crush sitting courtside. It's like, <laughs> yo, let me cook. Like he's out there. He took a step back three in the corner. Well, I think it was actually ended up being a long two. And I turned to turn yeah. to you squid. I'm like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> and the shot went in. Um, so yeah, I don't expect him to play a ton of minutes for Pitt this no, year. No, absolutely not. It was and, the first game. I don't know how many of you saw the UPJ exhibition, but I was there. And he missed two threes, like, really badly. Like, one might have been an air ball. One might have maybe touched the rim by, like, a centimeter. And I left with a few minutes left. And by the time I got to my car, I saw he had nine points off of three threes. So I wish I stayed for that reason. The guy's electric. We'll leave it at that. Is he new Aiden Fish? No, he's not a walk-on, so I don't think he's ah, doing that. Who KJ is Marsh- KJ well, Marshall? Okay, yeah, Fish earned a scholarship, so maybe it's not the distinction that KJ Marshall. This is different. Yeah, it's very different. Very different. Okay, can I? Am I allowed to have us pump the brakes a little bit? I think it's necessary. Yes. Okay, we'll cover our, our bases here. Okay. 
good. I, I don't want to ruin anyone's Pitt Panther party, but <laughs> let's let's start with North Carolina A and T. Um, they are currently ranked three hundred fifty six out of three hundred sixty two Division one teams on Ken Palm. Uh, I'm not gonna say Ken Palm is the end all be all, but we learned that last year that it is not. It isn't, but they the 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 system thinks they're a bottom ten team in all of Division One. Yeah, and I mean, even if Ken Palm's off by a little bit, they're still probably bottom twenty five, right? Bottom forty, being extra generous there. And out of three hundred and sixty teams, that is a lot, right? So, yeah, I don't want to rag on this team too bad um i just want to put things in perspective if, like I, I was watching that game last night they were physically overmatched Pitt was hitting hitting shots this team was not hitting shots they had a they had a kid i'll, I'll spare his name but he went oh for 12 from three and once for 16 from the field once again nothing against them those kids they're playing division one basketball but we spared him right here but the oakland zoo was letting him know what his stat line was yes as they should they were doing their jobs great great showing by the zoo so that's the first thing we've done the uh the team wasn't that good enough but i I feel like it needs to be said that that was a that wasn't just like some mid-major they came in and smacked that was one of the worst teams in division one um two i i've seen basically everyone now say that bob bob carrington's gonna be a one and done and that he's gonna be a lottery pick um while this may still happen, there are going to be some bumps in the road. He is a freshman point guard playing college basketball. Even the best players, even the players who go and are lottery picks, they have some hiccups along the road. Um, don't expect Bob Carrington to average a triple-double. It's just what I want to put on the minds. Of Pitt. Shut up. And I mentioned the name earlier, but I have a... I, do have a slight concern about the Xavier Johnson syndrome, which is you play well early. Everyone tells you you're going to the NBA and then you start adjusting your game to try to show NBA scouts that you're worthy of a pick. Uh, Not saying that's going to happen with Bob Carrington. I think his game is actually already much more suited for the NBA than Xavier Johnson's ever was, but I Xavier Johnson is still playing in the NCAA. Oh, I'm aware. He told us after after his freshman season, they could probably only give Pitt another year before he'd be gone. But here he is, four years later, still playing college basketball. I'm just I'm just gonna keep banking on the the coach's son aspect of things. Yeah, you you expect those kids to have a little bit of a better head on their shoulders, be a little bit more a team guys. Yeah, um, and Bub's dad also Bub. Uh, he's been around like future pros. He coached Jamel artists like since he was 10 years old, uh, coached, I want to say Sam young in AAU. Like he coached a lot of those Baltimore guys. So he's familiar with the process. It's not like the NBA is something foreign to them. So there's going to be some, some contacts he can reach out to some people he can get in and little bubs ear and be like, Hey, don't do that shit. So I, I'm confident in that, but just, just throwing it out there. While while we are listing minor concerns, um, speaking of freshmen, uh, I thought Jalen Lowe left a little bit 
to be desired. Very understandable. I think that we saw, you know, some say the duality of man. I'm saying the duality of fresh man. You have one kid who came out like his hair was on fire and played the most unbelievable game we've ever seen from a kid stepping onto a division one court for the first time. And, and Jalen Lowe, he looked a little nervous, a little jittery. That is to be expected. He looked um, like a freshman. He looked like a freshman. And I'm not saying this to speak negatively on Jalen. We, we really like Jalen. We are very high on him. Um, but more, more to the people listening that please remember that what we saw from Jalen was a lot more typical than what we saw of Bub when it comes to freshmen starting out. So please do not hold Bub's successes against Jalen. Jalen will come into his own in his own time. Um, and don't be surprised if there are a couple games where Bub regresses. These are essentially children that we are watching. Boo, this is no fun. They're going to be good. <laughs> or they're going to be great. Oh, they're going to be just great forever. Yeah, no, I just felt like there were a few times where Jalen looked like a guy playing in his first ever college game. A little hesitant. Not the guy who was averaging 30 points a game for his high school team 12 months ago, but more so a guy who's still trying to figure out the speed of the game. Um, and he'll figure it out. I have, I have no doubt in that. I mean, he played, oh, yeah. tw- he played 20 minutes last night. That's so... There's so many freshmen around the country who can't get off the bench. I mean, we have Marlon Barnes, who's it was announced today that he's going to redshirt this year. Like a lot of kids coming out of high school aren't ready to play. So for him to come out and play 20 minutes and mm. not look like he didn't belong, just didn't look like a star ready to carry a team deep in the March. Uh, that's that's nothing against him. So um, uh, one more point on my pump the brakes here, and this isn't even as much of a pump the brakes is like i'm really curious to see how this plays out will jeffress the return of will jeffress believe it or not this is his fourth year at Pitt. you're gonna you're gonna open this can of worms at the buzzer this is will jeffress's fourth year at Pitt. he missed all last year with the foot injury he's still not even 21 years old will is still 20 years old he Got here as a 17-year-old. I think he stepped on campus as a 16-year-old. For freshman season he played, he was 17. Look, I know it was his first game back in over a year. Uh, he, he missed all of last season. He looked a lot like the same Will Jeffress I've watched for two seasons prior to that. I haven't seen a ton of progression. Um he shot a three-pointer that barely made it to the rim. He was pushing the ball on a break and threw a pass over his head that almost flew out of bounds. Maybe he just needs to get these out of his system, or maybe he's the same player we've seen before. And I'm just very curious to see how this plays out because I feel like he's one of those guys who he's been here with Capel for now four years. And there are so many things to like about the idea of Will Jeffress. He was a highly touted recruit. He's big. He's athletic. He defends. He does defend. He had three steals last night, and he does defend. But at some point, when do you decide this guy who looks really good in practice and is tough defensively and 
does all the right things, has been such a good coachable player, just isn't worth stealing minutes from the 6'11 Spanish kid who can who can knock down threes all night. So I'm curious to see how the rotation works there, how much he ends up playing, and if he can come on and improve on the offensive end a little bit. But that's that's one of my main things I'm monitoring right now. He's going to have to play just by numbers. I mean, the starters last night, I imagine, will start for the whole season. Carrington, Austin, Leggett, Henson, Federico. Off the bench, you have the Diaz-Grams, okay, Jeffress, but like, and then Hewitt. Blake then Henson Lowe. played 21 minutes. Zach Austin played 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. Jorge Diaz-Graham played 16 minutes. Will Jeffress played 17. I could very well see 7-7-3 seven, seven, going to those three guys of Jeffress's minutes. Because once we get the conference play, Blake Henson isn't going to play 21 minutes. He was in a little bit of foul trouble last night. But once we get the conference play, Blake Henson isn't only play- he's going to He's gotten in better shape. He should be playing probably 30 minutes a game minimum. Zach Austin, my point here, same guy. You got to put Jeffress out there to eat a few minutes here and there, for whether it's foul trouble or if it's like the very specific situation where it's like, look, we got to get some stops. Let's put Jeffress out there and have him stand in the corner and maybe crash, get a putback dunk, or keep a play alive. I think this year he has to be so specific. Like we saw him try to push a fast break, and it looked not Division One basketball level. So you gotta be like, "Well, this is your job. You're doing this. Unleash him for two minutes at a time, two, three times a game. Leave it at yeah. that." I think if that happens, great asset. If we're asking him for more, it's not going to be pretty. And yes, do that, Jeff Capel. And that's what Jeff Capel gets paid all that money for, right? to help these guys understand what their role is and what they're good at. Fellas, I, I got to draw a line at arguing about the minutes of like our ninth best player after uh, one game. I, I think, I think Basketball that's all season, baby. I know, but I, th- I think that's where we got to draw a line. Thank you. We got to end with something fun here. Okay. How bad do they beat Binghamton on Friday? I will be betting whatever the spread is for Pitt. Is there a spread out yet? I was just looking. I don't see anything. I liked... So the over-under on Pitt total points last night was 81 and a half. And I was like, oh, I kind of like that. And I was looking at like some of their scores from last year and their opener last year. That number is going to get inflated if, if the Showtime Panthers keep trotting out there. Okay. Each of us, who's going to be Pitt's leading scorer on Friday? Squid, go. I'm going to go Blake Henson. He's going to want to get his numbers back up there. He'll hit some more threes. He missed some uncharacteristic ones. I'm going to go Blake as well. He let the youths have their fun on uh, Monday night. It's Blake time. going to zag a little bit. I'm going to go Ishley get. He was super effective getting to the hoop. Knocked down a couple jumpers. Uh, I think, you know, he's a little more assertive on Friday. And it it might be another situation where, you know, la- look, last night we had five different guys in b- double figures. And a whole bunch of other guys chipping in. So I think it's going to be a whole lot of that this year. And 
man, I cannot wait to be back at the Pete on Friday night. I've never wanted to see Binghamton play basketball more than I do right now. Well, now that the fun of talking hoops is over, uh, we are contractually obligated to talk about this football team. Um, But before we get to that, uh, Talking Football is brought to you by Guerrera Law. David, what's the best and worst thing that happened to you this week? Uh, The best thing that happened to me in the last week is I started looking at wedding venues. And the worst thing that happened to me in the last week is that I started looking at wedding venues. So Bob Carrington wasn't more exciting than wedding venues. You can plead the fifth. I'm going to do exactly that. Wow. Would you look at that? Uh, you know, life can be a lot like the life of a Panther fan. It's full of highs and lows. Some days, you know, you're dropping a triple-double as a freshman. Other days, slipping on ice down on Big Low Boulevard. Uh, can't make it to class. Limping along. That happened to me once. Uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you need help, call Guido at Guerrero Law. He will help you turn your losses into a triple-double freshman debut. GuerreraLaw.com. That's G-U-R-R-E-R-A-L-A-W.com. 412-229-7757. Guido is licensed in Pennsylvania and Ohio, and he is located right here in Pittsburgh. He is a loyal son. Okay, fellas. We've pushed it off. We've got to talk some football. Basketball season being here does give us a nice little reprieve, but we're two and seven. We're heading to Yankee Stadium. What do we got? We got to start with the elephant in the room. Quarterback. We didn't talk about it much in the Florida State recap, but on Monday... They asked Narduzzi if Nate Yarnell is going to play. And he basically said, don't ask me. Got to ask Coach Sig about that one. And what do we think, Pat Narduzzi? I mean, Frank Signetti should decide to do with the quarterbacks. Well, before we do that, can we talk about Narduzzi's comment? Yeah. uh, Thank you, Dylan. Um, What the hell? Is he is I think he's just trying to piss us off at this point. So I think and this might be giving Narduzzi a little bit of credit, but he may just be in full Pat Narduzzi mode of he's done with his OC, they have no relationship, and he's doing everything to throw shit on him on his way out and then he can fire him at the end of the season that's to credit him throwing his staff that he pounded on the table for under the bus is a credit to him yeah more so just putting all the blame on Signetti so at the end of the season he can just fire him and be like oh yeah our offensive woes are gone we're gonna figure this out it wasn't it wasn't my fault it was I left it up to the OC I guess that's to credit him, but I'm thinking maybe that's what's going on, or Narduzzi's just doing his typical, don't ask me, his call, and then 
you can ask Frank Signetti and his media availability, and he'll just bumble about nothing for five minutes like he typically does. Well, Frank Signetti, I don't think he's going to talk to the media this week. The less fun theory is, despite being a two-win football team in mid-November, Pat Narduzzi doesn't want to show his cards and let Syracuse know who to prepare for. Yeah, this is a rivalry game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot at stake. If Pitt wins out, they can still maybe get a bowl game at five and seven due to the James Madison nonsense. So a lot to play for. You don't want to give Dino Babers any advantages. Quick side thing, and I know we've already taken a couple detours before we talk about the quarterback situation. We're doing everything in our power to stay away from it. Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, five and seven pit in a bowl game. Technically possible. I I would ask you, you, your guys' opinion, but I think I know where we all stand on this, so I'll ask the question this way. How pissed will you be? If five and seven Pitt is in a bowl game with a chance to lose eight games this year. I'll be ecstatic if we get to watch Pitt bowl game. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. Either I mean, way, six and seven, five and eight. It'll be the most absurd, nonsensical game you can draw up. Whatever obscure bowl against whatever obscure team we play. You can't tell me that you would rather spend December 26th watching someone else in the Little Caesars or Quick Lane Bowl or whatever that bowl is called nowadays. What, what is that bowl nowadays? It doesn't matter. I'm curious. Listen, you guys know I, I you guys know I wouldn't be saying that if I wasn't getting to a very dire point with this pit football team. But it's starting to get to a stage where there's a lot, a lot of things I'd rather do than watch pit football. It's, it hurts. Every Saturday is torment. Yeah, but look at it this way. The last regular season games on November 25th, the quick lane bowl. And I love how we're just, I'm just subbing this in as the bowl that we would get at five and seven isn't played till December 26th. So you'd have a whole month off of pit football and you'd be sitting there with a full belly at the day after Christmas, just a beautiful day with your family. And you'd wake up that next morning and sit there on the couch and be, be like, wow, Pitt plays football in a couple hours. You're telling me you wouldn't like that. It's like Christmas back to back days. Right. All right. You guys are selling me. Okay. Vayer, Yarnell, what do you want? I'm going to let you guys take the floor because I have a feeling I know who's going to take what side. Maybe not Yarnell versus Vayer, but certain assessments of Vayer that I will need to counter at the end of this. So please proceed. Start burning. Go. I'm going to start. First of all, I got to address Pitt is somehow minus three in this game. What the hell? Anyway. We got to play Vayer, let him get some confidence back. I'm a big confidence guy, so I'll tread lightly here. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I'm big on his confidence, but I'm also going to say give him a short leash because if things go bad against a bad Syracuse team, 
We got to give Nate Arnell a shot at some point. What are we waiting for? We have one third down conversion in like seven quarters of football. Something's got to change. Frank Signetti is unfortunately not going anywhere. Let's see if Nate Arnell shows any signs of life. Yeah, I'm not out on Vayer whatsoever. I, I think it would be unfair, especially considering that none of the quarterbacks who have played in this offense under Signetti have seen much success. So I'd like to say Vayer with a competent offensive coordinator. Common theme in, in the world of Pittsburgh football. But I would like to see Nate Yarnell as well. I would like to see him get some extended playing time and see if this hidden, untapped, unknown of this guy who started one game for us, won the game against a lesser opponent with a very limited playbook, a guy who came in and threw two bombs against Notre Dame and got us in the end zone. I just want to know if he is really not that guy before he goes and transfers to another school. I just want to see it with my own two eyes. Vayer won't transfer again. He'll be here next year. I don't know if he basically, can. Basically, no matter what. I doubt he would leave and risk having to sit out. So he'll be here next year. He can duke it out. Yarnell can go wherever he pleases. So if Yarnell plays and sucks, you can tell him, Nate, you can go wherever you want. We're getting somebody else anyway. If he plays and looks good or half decent, I'll lower the bar. I'm not going to sit here and act like our third string quarterback behind Phil Dracovic and Christian Vayer is going to be good. But how hilarious would that be if Nate Yarnell is just somehow really good and he was buried behind <laughs> what we have on our depth chart all season? I mean, I think I said it last week. Some guys are just gamers. Maybe he's a gamer. Maybe he can come in and just sling it. He he doesn't doesn't woo you in practice. Uh, doesn't do anything out of the ordinary. But when it comes to the game, he just kind of figures it out. And I don't know, man. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be kind of fun to see someone else play quarterback too? The season, yes, but the it'd also be infuriating. Stuff. I'm not sure how much more pissed off we can get at Narduzzi and Signetti, but if we just come out and like light up Syracuse and Boston College with Yarnell, we'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're afraid that they're going to light it. Yarnell lights it up, and then everyone wonders what the, what the hell they were doing all year. Okay, so Dylan and I, our team, give Yarnell a shot unless Vayer just plays good from start to finish. David, are you going to oppose us? Honestly, no. I, I actually thought you guys were going to uh, be way harsher in your criticisms of Vayer. I, I will proceed with the point I was going to make. Assuming that you guys were going to be hard on him. Th this kid has played significant minutes in five football games. Five. He has played against, and, and these rankings are fresh because I was watching the college football rankings show while we've been recording. 
Number 24, North Carolina. Number 20, Notre Dame. Number 11, Louisville. Number 4, Florida State. And Wake Forest. The ACC is a gauntlet. We all know the ACC is a gauntlet. No one has questioned at any point in the last 20 years that this is the peak of collegiate football. But that is an unbelievable murderer's row to face after an offseason where you were not prepared with the ones being thrown in with a terrible offensive coordinator and a team with negative morale. Four ranked opponents he has faced. And the one non-ranked opponent he's played against, he lit up Wake Forest. Over 300 yards, should have had the game-winning touchdown. Now, yes, when we are talking about the future of your football program, you you want him to look good against those kind of ranked opponents. You want him to show promise against that level of competition, but you should not expect him to. So I think there's a lot of doubt that's starting to creep into pit fans that Vayer is not going to be the guy that they should go dip back into the portal in the off season. I really, really desperately urge everyone to be patient through these last three weeks. Cause I think this, what we see the next three weeks is going to be, the true Christian Veyer. He's going to have a little bit more room to make mistakes. He's, he's going to be, you know, facing more favorable matchups. He's going to be able to play his game. Having said that, the way he forces balls in desperate moments and the way he seems to be throwing to a point on the turf and not a receiver disappointing really hope that whoever our next offensive coordinator is can coach him out of that because i mean how many times can he just take a three-step drop and chuck it to a point hoping his receiver is going to get there and it inevitably to fall into the lap of a safety can we take before we tell him to stop doing that but i i just think every factor has been against him thus far however i am in agreement with the two of you that I do want to see Nate Yarnell at some point before the end of the season in significant minutes, in a significant point in the game, not just in garbage time, to see what he has. Because regardless, and my opinion could change given the outcome of the next three weeks, regardless, I think Veyer needs competition going into next season. Genuine competition and not the fake competition they had the last two seasons where they had a starter anointed and, you know, just obfuscated for the media for six months. A genuine competition that forces these guys to practice hard, to train hard, to compete. Um, but no, I, I do think we need to be going into next year with multiple options at quarterback in case Veyer is not the guy. And Yarnell needs to let us know. We need to give him the opportunity to let us know in the next three weeks if we're going back to the portal or if you know, he's going to have a crack in 2024. Good sales pitch. I've amended my statement and I'm going to give Vayer a longer leash. I forgot that he played the best of the best in the country slash ACC since starting over and beat one of those teams. 
What's Louisville ranked now? What are they in the playoff poll? Are they like 11? Louisville. Louisville? Yeah. Yeah, 11. Yeah. Beat we'll give them the full 11. game this week. We'll reassess for Thursday night under the lights in front of a most certainly packed Acrisure Stadium when we take on Boston College. So wow. should we talk about the game a little bit aside from the quarterback position, or is there nothing to talk about? I was just going to say that was very eloquently put by David, and that's a great way to put a bow on this. That was great podcasting. Um, <laughs> the game, just to think that I was pissed off three months ago that I had a wedding this Saturday and that I wouldn't be able to go to Yankee Stadium for this game, to think that I was pissed off about that. You couldn't drag me to New York this weekend. Although no. Yankee Stadium would have been kind of cool. I, I've never been there. I didn't go to the Pinstripe Bowl, so. Um, neither of you are going, right? No. I was never going. I had planned fun story uh, for everyone. I had I was covering the University of Washington as like one of my sales accounts. So months and months ago, I bought a ticket to Washington, Utah for this weekend. One ticket was going to fly solo. And then the next day they announced that we were changing up our sales territories and I no longer had the University of Washington. So my whole plan was to be up in the Pacific Northwest for a Pac-12 showdown. Um, but now I am trying very hard to offhand a ticket to a football game in Seattle if anybody knows anybody. So I was never planning on going to this game. Um, but now I guess the destination is my couch. Right. All right. I'm going to give you all like 30 seconds of a preview of Pitt Syracuse. This is all you need to know. We know everything about Pitt. We know who Pitt is. Syracuse. Our old buddy from last year who played Carlos Dario Wilson getting the start again. Garrett Schrader is reportedly out. He got hurt two games ago. And when they asked Dino Babers about it in the press conference this week, he said, I don't know if he'll play. But all signs pointing to him being out based off of what I've scrolled through on the internet in the last several minutes. You know what Carlos Dario Wilson did last week at Boston College? Full game. None of you saw what happened in Syracuse, Boston College last week. Wow. Must have been big football, guys. It's the game of the week. I'll tell you. He was 7 for 17. 37 yards. You know how many interceptions he threw? Two. Four. <laughs> Yeah, he's terrible. There's no way they can trot him out. In his prior outing, he came in in relief against Florida State when they were being blown out. Two of nine, one interception. The time before that against North Carolina, he had a negative QB rating somehow. One for two, five Wait, yards, what? one interception. Did you say he had a negative quarterback rating? According to Yahoo Sports, he had a negative 29 quarterback rating against UNC. There is no way that's possible. I'm just telling you what I'm reading off of this app here. One for two, five yards, one interception. 
Yeah, I can see that being negative. Bottom line, this guy stinks. Syracuse is going to run the ball 45 times. Pitt will also probably do the same. Play action, deep shots mixed in. We can complete a few of those and ball across the goal line. Squid's Wi-Fi is literally begging us to wrap this preview up. Can you hear any of that? It was a we'll see in post-production. God damn it. <laughs> get out of bed. Boy, all right, all you- should we just go around the horn, give score predictions? and? Uh, 21-20, Pitt. Squid looks like he's being videographed by a calculator right now, but I'll say uh, 28 to 10 pit. I'll go 20 to 10 pit. All right. A sickos are still hanging on for a pit win here. Pit fans, if you're making the trip up to Yankee Stadium, we salute you. God bless. Bring home a W. As always, hail loyal sons of Pittsburgh.